I don't know, try, try to not be the person who hops on the, on the trend, but try to be a person who maybe starts the next one or, or does something that nobody else does. And then that's your thing. There's a strong sort of seduction of the smooth surface, right? It's very seductive to try to make everything looks like, look like it's finished, even if we don't really have all the answers yet. And so like, especially now that we're all working on the computer, And so that's something that I try to push myself to and also try to push my students to is like dare to be messy, like dare to like when you're in a design process, it's not going to be neat and tidy, right? It's not going to look good for a while because you're figuring it out. If you're too cautious, if you're like at every step sort of hedging your, oh, no, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. It's like, fine, break it, like go too far. And then you know that you've gone too far and then you can dial it back and do something else. Nina Stossinger is a senior typeface designer at Farrah Jones Type in Brooklyn, New York. She also teaches type design at Yale School of Art and previously served on the board of directors at the Type Directors Club, where she chaired the 22nd TDC Typeface Design Competition. Originally from Switzerland, Nina graduated in multimedia design from the University of Art in Germany, where she discovered her love of type. She went on to receive a CAS in type design from Zurich University of the Arts and an MA in type and media from the Royal Academy of Art. Nina has spoken at numerous conferences and events, and her work has been awarded and exhibited internationally. We hope you enjoy this great conversation that Mandy and I had with Nina. Welcome to another episode of Design Dogs podcast. Today, uh, Mandy and I have with us Nina Stossinger. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, pretty yeah, close. Pretty close. I have this horrible um, reputation of just murdering last names. So uh, Nina's going to work fine for me. Um, So Mandy and I are continuing our conversations on um, the documentary film, Redesigning Her Story. And we have a lot of questions that we want to get your input on, Nina. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we also want to have the opportunity to talk a little bit about the typeface that you have Mm -hmm. uh, designed uh, with Farrah Jones type um, to to um, add to the identity of the film. But before we get into too much of that, it'd be great if we can get just a quick background on you and how you got into um, design and into type design and what um, perhaps landed you in the, the great big apple. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, and just for the record, I have a last name that's in, in a habit of being murdered. So um, <laughs> you did comparatively well. I actually have a little collection of all the uh, all the wrong versions I've, I've gotten over the years. And Interesting. It's a bit of a bit of a hobby. Um, no. So yeah, I'm a I'm a senior typeface designer at Fair Jones Type here in Brooklyn. I just realized I've been here for almost exactly four years now, which seems longer than. I was going to say yeah. time flies, but that's not really true in 2020. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I do that. I'm, I also teach at Yale every spring. We have an elective in the graphic design MFA uh, course that's um, type design, um, which Tobias Fred Jones, who I work with, teaches in the fall. And then I teach the, the corresponding class in the spring. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, and I think I've known that. I don't know how many times I think uh-huh. you've mentioned that to me, but for some reason it just keeps escaping me um, that you do that. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been, it's been, I've really been enjoying that um, a lot sort of as a compliment to the work that I do myself. Yeah. Um, I also teach workshops and in type design and in scripting for type design. Um, typically I speak 
I like speaking at conferences, I like speaking at schools, so I'm kind of like, you know, a doer, but also a talker about it, if, if you will. Um, I served on the board of the Type Directors Club for a couple of years and also chaired one of their type, uh, TDC type design competitions in that time, which, you know, I consider to be one of the great honors of, of my life. It was also a lot of work, but I'm very glad I got to do it. Um, yeah, do you, I don't know. Do you want do you want sort of the backstory well, of how I got here? I think that's what you said. A little, right? a little bit, yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, was there some point where you were like pondering college, walking across a college campus, and said, "Hey, I'm going to be a type designer." <laughs> um, do what, I mean? It would have been a lot easier if that if that moment <laughs> had fallen on my head a bit earlier. I had kind of a circuitous path into. Type design, because honestly, for a long time, I didn't know that was a thing that, that humans did. Right, right. Um, right, it just happens magically. Right. It's like, I never stopped to think, like, who made the fonts that were in my computer? Because, like, somebody drawing all those shapes seemed kind of ridiculous. Like, I always suspected there was some kind of algorithm or some parametric set of, you know, commands with which you could generate those. Turns out, no. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I originally got into design by way of web design um, in like the early days of the web. I got a couple of books. I had, okay, I had a boyfriend who worked at an internet cafe and was hanging out there all the time and like playing computer games. And I wasn't so much into the gaming, but I was into this weird new medium. And so I, I kind of learned to make websites um, and started freelancing in that and then um, ended up studying what was then called multimedia design. This is how you know I'm old. And um, after graduating from there, um, started my own studio and did sort of everything from graphic design, logo design, web design, um, what was then called web design, I guess. Um, and increasingly type, typography and, um, and book design. And then on the side kind of learned more or studied more about uh, about type design proper. Like I did a, um, a part-time class in Zurich. Um, oh yeah, I'm from Switzerland. Maybe I should have started there. Um, so I'm, I'm originally Swiss. Um, did a part-time part type design class there and then at some point moved to Holland and did uh, got another MA and a type of media program in The Hague. And really, really wanted to get into type design. It turns out it's not a very, it's, it's a very kind of friendly scene if you're new to it. It's a, it's a very small industry. Everybody knows each other. It's not, I didn't find it very easy to get into in terms of actually getting work. Um, and so, yeah, a couple of years after graduating from there, you know, I ended up getting a job offer from, from Tobias and I always wanted to live in New York. So that was kind of, a win, 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 yeah. win, so to say, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, um, I bet you there's a lot of people out there that would love to be in your shoes and to be working at Farrah Jones Type and having that opportunity. Uh, it's, it's got to feel surreal sometimes. Uh, I would imagine. I mean, it felt very surreal in the beginning. I was like, yeah. this is complete. Like, I am living in New York and I have this job that like is just an amazing, you know. Yeah. Um. And I'm actually grateful that it's also been hard, you know, like living in New York is hard. Living in New York City when you come from like sort of European small towns is, is one hell of a change. Um, right. 
going back into employment as much as I have so much respect for this foundry and I love what they do and I love what they did before I joined and everything, but going back into employment from after seven years of running my own show is also not easy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I've actually appreciated the the resistance and the struggles and that it's not just been easy because it kind of offsets this, you know, the no, it doesn't offset it. I, I'm also trying to not forget that I'm, you know, I'm hugely privileged not just to have this opportunity, um, to have gotten this opportunity, but also to have had the chance of actually, you know, looking for years for what it is that I actually want to do. And, right. You know, I could have become a graphic designer and it would have been fine, you know, and now yeah. I feel like I'm so lucky to have been able to really pursue this path to where I truly I feel I want to be. Hmm? Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting, too, that you went from web design to print design and type design, because most of the people I know, they, they you know, they were graphic designers, print designers first, and then they went the web design route. Right. You know, like, that's where, right. we, where, it's where most of the jobs are today. So yeah, that's where we're going to go. Yeah. I think, honestly, part of it was, is that growing up in Switzerland, graphic design is like such a thing. And it's like when I was growing up, like all the girls around me who were like drawing all the time, every, mm -hmm. you know. Adults would be saying to them, oh, you can be a graphic designer when you grow up. And I was never one of those kids. Like, I was, like, this weird nerdy kid. Like, I made, like, I, I typed, we had a mechanical typewriter that I typed on all the time. And then I made, like, a zine where, like, I photocopied everything oh. together. And, oh, okay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody thought that that was going to lead to graphic design. So I just always had this thing about, you know, that's not my world. Right. You would have needed uh, a... a design parent that would have been like oh look at nina doing paste up she should be a graphic designer right <laughs> right <laughs> totally what, what's a day in the shoes of nina at farrah jones type then um you know it's i always find it so tricky to answer this question when it comes up because there's not really a typical day like it's because we're a tiny team right we're four people right, um, right. three of whom designer designers so like it really depends on where we are in a given project. I may have a day where I'm just doing research or I may have a day where I'm like right now I'm immersed in some technical stuff, like trying to rethink some workflows and writing some tools. Um, but I'm, I have days where I'm just drawing all day or kerning yeah. all day. So it, it's kind of, it's very multifaceted, but, but those are, those are, I think the main, there's drawing, like developing typefaces, researching, uh, references and backgrounds um, and then um, of course also some applications like we need to have type specimens and we need to have you know showings and, and proofs right. and like sometimes that involves writing which I love <laughs> don't and, don't all artists right no I mean it like oh, that really? was not actually sarcastic oh. yet <laughs> I wanted yeah. to be a journalist or a writer um, you know, before I wanted to be a designer. So like when I get to write something, I'm always like, I can't do a text. I, I love writing too. <laughs> I actually do love writing. See? I'll, I'll try Welcome harder. Welcome to the club. I'll try harder. So writing is just, it's always harder than I think it is. Like it's always makes me want to like tear all my hair out and run away screaming. But I always, I also love it like in this really weird way. I will I will admit, I really love creative writing. Like, mm -hmm. if, like if I can throw some wit at the wall and kind of like send someone down one direction and then pull them to the left really quick and, and mm -hmm. whatnot, where people go, oh, wow, that was clever. That excites me. 
mm-hmm. but it, when it comes to writing grants or research papers and that kind of thing, that's not my... Oh, yeah, no, I meant more like blog posts or like, um, you know, sort of short. um, Shorter pieces where I get to explain something that or talk about something that I enjoy. Like I wrote one blog post for our blog about a custom type project we did. And that was just so hard. But really, yeah, yeah. But like also I loved it. That's cool. So are you guys are you guys working? in the office, working from home? How's the pandemic affecting workflow? Right. Uh, a lot, yeah. So you, before the pandemic, we were at the office. At least the design team was at the office all day, every day. Like, that was just the baseline. And um, I remember that even, like, um, you know, the past when we were when we were hiring for my position or the other designer who, who joined after me, um, you know, a lot of people would be like, hey, can, is, this, is there a possibility to do this remote? And the answer was always no, because we want to have that common space. We want to have the frequent exchange. We also have, you know, we have the library there. We have the good printer. We have the scanner. We, it's just kind of seemed to make sense. Um, and now we've been working from home for, oh, exactly four months, almost exactly four months ago wow. was my first day that I worked from home. And... Um, it's actually gone pretty okay. Like, I mean, it's, it helps to have the office nearby and be able to go there if, you know, if I need something that is there or whatever. Um, But yeah, we just, the way it usually works is that we all have our projects that we're mainly responsible for. And then we still collaborate kind of on everything, but um, it's, it's kind of clear who's responsible for what and who's working on what. And so we just check in frequently and we have a Slack, um, you know, where we can, you know, shoot questions at each other if something comes up. And oh, that's so that's great. been working yeah. pretty okay. That sounds like it. Yeah. Mandy? Oh, so I wanted to ask you more about women in the type industry. Um, mm-hmm. Creative Review recently put out a short article, Why is Type Design So Male? And I was wondering, is that true? I mean, I'm not in the type design field specifically, so I wanted yeah. to hear from you. This is a great question because I was wondering about this as well because going to TypeCon and <clears throat> the different mm-hmm. conferences and that, and I was just thinking about this while you were talking about how hard it was to get in the industry and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, that's, that is so true. I think it, I, from an outside perspective, still think it to be a, a male driven industry. I don't know. No, totally. I think that's absolutely true. And I, I thought that creative review article raised an interesting point in that, um, type design is often re- represented as kind of a technical quote unquote craft rather than like a creative art. And I think there is some truth to that, but I also wonder if, you know, presenting it as such sort of makes it feel more like something that ought to be applying, um, appealing to, to men. I'm not sure, but um, so it has, you know, it has um, a very sort of technical side to it as well, which I personally enjoy, but I know not everybody does. Um, I'm actually curious, I'm not sure, like, I don't have numbers on this or anything, but I wonder if you were to look at related fields like calligraphy and lettering, whether you would find more women there Mm. than in, like, type design proper, uh, which also has a very male history, you know. It really has that legacy of of being, like, you know, important old white men who run these these processes and and these companies and... um, yeah. 
See, when I uh, I can also think of like Chris Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, in in the work that she did, mm-hmm. um, type designer. But her passion may have been or more of a hobby. I'm you know I'm not sure. I'm 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 guessing a little bit. You know, was the calligraphy. You know, and some of the things that she brought mm-hmm. to the type that her and Chuck mm-hmm. Bigelow worked on was kind of the, the calligraphic um, applications right. to like Lucida and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to follow up on that, then, do you think it's important to see female representation in the type industry? Absolutely. I think, I think it really, I mean, that's also personally feedback that I've gotten after doing talks is that, you know, young women or, or female students have come up to me and be like, it's so great to see women doing this because I was beginning to think, you know, what am I doing here? So I think it's absolutely important to have, you know, representation. And that's also why I, um, I try to really like, I mean, like I said, I enjoy the more technical aspects and I try to also kind of model that and teach that and kind of be a female teacher where you wouldn't expect one. Um, right. You, you, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about TypeCon again. Um, sorry, that's my like ref, my go-to <laughs> reference right now. No, um, education forums, it's probably 70, 30 female, <laughs> right? And even the students that are presenting are mm-hmm. more female than male. Mm-hmm. But then if you go to the regular program, I know that percentage changes. I don't know how much because I think the board does a fantastic job at representation. Right. And I was going to, I was going to actually also mention that I think this has on the representation front, especially conferences and such things have been changing a lot in the past few years. Um, Because like, I remember a few years ago when this whole question came up, like we're, you know, we're the female type designers and I, like it was it was hard for many people to name even a handful of female type designers right and i think we're well past that stage now i think now everybody with a passing interest in type design you know should be effortlessly aware that there are women in this field it's just we're nowhere near you know actual equity obviously but um but yeah conferences especially typecon and some others i think have done a great job of, of really really um prioritizing yeah. getting equal representation for women well, and uh, two things that I'm, that are on my mind. I'm sorry, Nina. Um, mm-hmm. First during the um, like the Friday, Saturday uh, aspects of TypeCon and thinking about the women that were there, there's mm-hmm. a lot of international representation. Is there mm-hmm. a lot of American representation? I would have to, you know, think about that further. And, and I, I'm sure Grant and, um, and, and the, the board would be able to kind of give that information for sure mm-hmm. if we ever needed it. And uh, if they are listening uh, to the podcast, please go ahead and send me some information. That'd be great for our research for the film. And the other, the other aspect of that, you know, kind of rhetorical questions, I guess, are um, heroes, right? So there are a lot of women in, gra- in, uh, in type design. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when you start looking at the names who's recognized and I don't know if that's one of my questions, but I'm getting ahead of myself, but that was um, one of the things that I'm just starting to wonder about. It's like, well, what about that? Like who gets, who gets the recognition versus who's not? I don't know. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. And I think, I think there are two aspects of that that are maybe worth um, highlighting. One is that 
while women are getting more visible in, in type design, it's very rare to have them be leaders. Like they're usually either in subordinate roles or they're partnering with a man. Right. 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 That's like almost yeah. all of the like really outstanding women figures I can think of in type design are in one of those situations. Um, and the other aspect of that that I think is problematic is this whole conception of, of, of design history and the design field as this kind of hero worship situation generally, right? Which, right? which then serves to further kind of marginalize these women and, and kind of get the spotlight off of them. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I'm racking my brain over is while we work on this documentary film, how do we not get mm -hmm. caught up in who are the women heroes right and you know what are those names and how much does a name mean for recognition of discussion you know right. there's a lot of there's a lot of definitely questions in that in that realm Mandy did you have more to that question specifically I did sort of have a follow-up you did talk about how the the field's changing a little mm -hmm. bit especially in terms of what you're seeing at like events like TypeCon how does that translate into your classroom you mentioned that you you teach a type mm. class Oh, sure. And even to, the, even to end of that question, nothing like giving you 10 questions to answer at once. You know, what about mm -hmm. um, student demographics as well? Yeah, this is actually interesting because it connects to what you said, Pete, about the, the education firm at TypeCon. Um, because my class is usually at least 50% female. Um, and of course, those are graphic design students. They're not type design students. They're just graphic design students that choose to specialize in type design like on top of whatever else they're doing. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm not seeing the problem there. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm a little loath to speculate on reasons, but sure, certainly sure. one thing is, as you see in, in my own story, is that type design tends to be a thing that takes kind of long to get into. Um, and so I don't know if, um, if women maybe get derailed more by considerations of wanting to start a, a family or, you know, how, like, mm -hmm. how hard is this thing to get into, to get to, to have success. And I don't know if that's a factor. Um, and I also don't know if it's a factor that it's just, you know, it's a field that um, it takes a lot of guts to go into. I mean, nowadays, a lot of the young people yeah. who are starting out, you know, start their own companies, start their own founders and just kind of do stuff. Yeah. And type design projects tend to be very long and very sort of labor intensive until you can start profiting off of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, minus initiatives like, like future funds, but like traditionally it would be like you would be working on something for a couple of years or maybe one year, um, but certainly months until you can publish it and then maybe somebody licenses it unless you get custom commissions, but those are even harder to get if you're just starting out. So yeah. That takes it takes guts and it takes you know some kind of stable basis to work from financially and and, and emotionally and, and yeah. works, you know life situation wise and and it takes confidence which I was going to say even a tenacity factor right yeah and, right. and speaking to that and what you're saying about um, um, you know some of those challenges even when I think about the 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 competitions or the young students presenting their type designs, the um, criticisms or the critiques, um, I've witnessed a few of those and they can be really uh, overwhelming, really 
I don't want to call it threatening, but um, lack of words, my thesaurus no. is as thick as a sheet of paper. But Harsh. Uh, harsh. It's, it's rough, right? So there's a lot of criticisms in, you know, quality type design. The thing is type design, and I'm definitely guilty of this too. Like, I feel like I'm kind of disentangling myself, you know, partially from that mindset where I'm trying to. Um, but there's a lot of unbroken trust in craft uh, and in the importance of craft and in the importance of just objectively like doing things well. And then on top of that, you have the creative expression, right? But like, mm-hmm. I feel like type design is very, like, especially if you're making type, text type, like if you're making display type that you, that's going to be used like in large and like short headlines or something, then that can be a lot freer. But if you're making something that ought to be read in continuous text, there's just so much precedent and there's so much, um, like both culturally and Optically, there's so much going on that right. if you just kind of wing it, it's probably not going to look good. And if it doesn't look good, then it doesn't read well, and then nobody wants to read it. And the, the problem is reading is so complicated, and it's so poorly understood still, that it's it's kind of hard to drill into that process. So it's kind of, yeah. it can be very tricky to know, like, how far can you push things, or how, how much can you diverge from, like, established precedent and still make it work. And where I'm trying to get at is that, this, I think, has inspired a general attitude of, you know, people who have kind of figured out how to do this or have some, some experience in doing this, often being like, you know, I, ha- I know how to do this if you're doing it wrong, which also can come across as, you know, gatekeepery and elitist and not helpful. And True, right. Right. Uh, I think that's something that the type design as a discipline has to sort of wrangle with, you know, how do we, how do we still try to educate people about what what quality means is that even possible as an abstract concept like and what kind of voices do we silence with that sure um, because is there a place for things that are less refined or less right I, sure. i've actually been thinking about that in terms of just general graphic design education you know we still teach this very <clears throat> modernist model right. and, does, and how does that you know how does that translate to all people in all cultures? You right. know? This is so bizarre to me. Like, honestly, as a Swiss person who moved to the U.S., the impact that Swiss graphic design, Swiss, like, modernist graphic design had on U.S. design education is unreal. Like, it, I find it really distressing, honestly, because, like, especially when it presents itself as this kind of, this is how you do good design. No, that's, like, how some people thought you should do good design on the other end of the globe in a tiny, rich country like over half a century ago right yeah right right so that needs to be put in its context and there needs to be other other models and um that's actually also something i've been thinking about a lot with regards to both graphic design and also type design is like how is there a way to question what we define as the canon you know which sure. also comes back to your question about like who are the female heroes right it's like what sort of scope do you even look at like do you just look at graphic design as it's taught in, in, in schools, or do we look at the guy who's making the neighborhood flyers that you, that uses 15 fonts, but actually kind of works in a weird way? You know what I sure, mean? Like, exactly, yeah. Um, can we honor vernacular voices? Can we honor calligraphers, letterers, graffiti artists? I don't know, like, how big that pie can be, but, like, who are all the people that we, yeah. that we could be listening to right. that are not? And I know yeah. you're an advocate for that. Just by following your Instagram account, 
you know, you'll be biking around New York City or whatever, and you, and you just have this need, which is beautiful, and don't stop doing it, just to grab these samples of type from all over New York City. And it is the vernacular, you know, it is the it is the discussion that's happening. So, I mean, that's great. I wanted to ask you a question uh, to go back a few steps, so I apologize for that. Um, you know, you're talking about making body text and readable type. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just got to be daunting to begin with because we've, we've kind of made readable type. And one of the questions I'm sure you always get is like, why do we need to make another type design? And Eric Gill famously said, we have as many, and this is going back a hundred years, right? We have as many typefaces as we have fools, right? He said that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a maybe quote. Don't, maybe don't quote Eric Gill though in like <laughs> a feminist design history. No, right. um, of course like- not. Uh, yeah, very good point. Uh, we'll let our <laughs> very listeners, problematic. Yeah, we'll let our listeners figure that one out. Yeah, uh, put the link somewhere. Yeah, uh, Google and research Eric Gill. Um, so, so I mean that that in itself, I'm sure that you face that just by saying, "Oh yeah," you know, and like calling totally. mom and dad and like, "Hey, I'm going to be a type designer," and they're like, "Would we have type already? Why do we need another another typeface?" I don't know. <laughs> my my parents were actually pretty cool with that, but because um, oh, nice. they're artists, like they they get it. But like, um, you know, I think the fact that the question exists is and and comes back so often is mm-hmm. kind of a great testament to how sort of undercover text type design is. Like, yeah. because if you're not a type designer or or a typographer or a book designer you read a book, you probably don't stop to think what the typeface is, unless right. it's bad and it throws you off track. But of course, the the, the understanding is that Beatrice Ward famously described type as the right the, the clothes. Yeah, that that too. But that's what I. I'm actually I'm actually that's the point where I'm just not I'm just get so impatient with modernism because because no type is transparent. Like if if somebody right. made a crystal goblet, we could stop making type. Um, <laughs> but no, she described she described typefaces as the clothes that words wear. Yes. And I think that's an incredibly beautiful image for what type does, right? So that, for example, if you're walking on the street and somebody, some, like you encounter somebody and that person is wearing a tracksuit, tracksuit pants and like whatever is topless and somebody who's wearing a pajama and somebody who's wearing, you know, a three-piece suit, you're going to immediately have a different perception of this person. And that's a lot of how type works. Um, in terms of making a first impression, in terms of setting a certain mood, setting a certain tone, or, or making associations to other things. And I feel like if I read a book that's typeset, for example, in like a, a slightly bold sans serif, you know, it's kind of a Swiss thing, um, I hear that in a different sort of voice internally than if I read something that's like in a Renaissance serif. So there is, there's that, there's like setting the tone. And on that, you know, on that um, line of argumentation, the point is that we will own, always need new designs because just like we always, I forget who said this, probably everybody, but like, you know, we need new music all the time. We need new art. We need new, it's a cultural activity. So there will always be that urge to create something that responds to something that, that we don't have yet or something that's, that's timely or something, some, you know, some mood. Um, and the other line of argumentation, of course, is technological. Or, or, or functional that, um, you know, the media landscape is, is evolving. You know, like right. a few years ago, you wouldn't have needed type that works well on the web because using type on the web was just not an option outside of the 
few system fonts that everybody was using. Right. I remember um, using images as titles and subtitles, right? God, yeah. <laughs> All of those horrible workarounds. And, and now we have things like, uh, you know, like VR. It's like what does type do in, in virtual environments where it's like three-dimensional, but it's also virtual. And how do you, how do you work with that? And so there's, you know, there's, there's functional questions, there's stylistic questions. And uh, of course, we also have variable fonts now, and that's a whole new bucket of like questions and chances and risks and possibilities and, and, and uh, you know, options to think about like what kind of issues can type respond to and when does it just get silly and when is it actually useful? And um, so I feel like I, as a form, as, as a format and as an art form, quote unquote, it, it is always evolving. Right, right. That felt very kind of blathery, but I hope no, I no, it responded to your actual point. Very much so. And it even, it even prompts me to, to ask about success in the industry. You know, does, does gender have anything to do with not only the success of the individual, but the success of a typeface? You mean the gender of the person who made it? Yeah. It, do you think that there's any gender-specific issues or gender disparity kind of happening? Well, there's definitely a gender disparity happening. Yeah. Um, the, the, the thing with, like, seeing the creator behind the type is always a bit difficult because typefaces, you know, again, like, many people are not aware that, like, typefaces are, like, created by humans who make them the way, that, you yeah. know, it's yeah. like that. that's kind of not so visible. Um I do sometimes get inquiries from people who are like, hey, we want to use the typeface design for a woman for X, X thing that we're working on. And then always a bit of a trade-off, right? I'm kind of looking forward to the moment when this will not have to be an issue because like, I'd like somebody to pick my typeface because they like the typeface, right. not right. who I am. Right. Well, we, I right. mean, we kind of face the same thing in branding uh, for the documentary film. You know, we reached out to a, right. um, a female uh, entrepreneur of a design agency, designer herself. Uh, mm -hmm. We in turn reached out to you for typeface. Right. Uh, and I have faced, and this has been on the podcast before, that question of, you know, why you? Meaning, you know, me, right. I'm, I'm a guy. What's, what's my take on it? So I agree completely that when that question can no longer be a question or a need in the ask, you know, that will be the utopia. Right. And of course, there is work to be done until then. And so I'm, you know, I'm happy to, you know, take one for the team and just, you know, represent when I have to. Um, and it's a beautiful representation that the typeface that you supplied. How, thank you. Uh, how long was that in the works? Conductor? Uh, that is an excellent question. Um, I love the name too, Conductor. I'd even like to know. Thank you. I'm. I'm still. I still have for us. We had that was the hardest typeface we've ever had to name. We went through I think 91 ideas. Oh wow! And in the end, we were down to three, and I favored the other two. <laughs> ah. um, there's a lot of like good reasons why conductor makes a lot of sense. It's just I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to it. But okay. it was also a typeface <laughs> that had a working title for so long that I still know it as as what it was before. Right. But um, six three seven A B A B six. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh. That sounds catchy. <laughs> yeah. Specimen three seven nine. I don't know. My cat is like sitting behind the laptop looking at me. She'll probably like traipse in front of the screen. I, I hope point. she does. I always welcome no. all, all fur babies and 
kids and oh. everyone. Hey, it's 2020 and we're all zooming and, you know, going right. through it at home. So, you know, right. bring on the children and the animals and whatever other alien life forms you have. Uh, I have to say, I have enjoyed that greatly, especially early on in the pandemic when nobody was set up for this and like you could see everybody's living room and everybody's, you know, right background messes and like, um, yeah. The real way they live. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not the constructed Instagram way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was even mentioned to me that like the documentary film were having some hesitation, not hesitation, a pause in getting out and doing the uh, interviews right? And filming the interviews and whatnot because of the pandemic. And uh, an interesting recommendation was made to me this morning and made me think about it, about opportunity. But they're like, well, just one, you can save your budget and just do Zoom meetings and just record the Zoom meetings and just make your documentary film out of Zoom meetings. It would be accepted as the norm. I was like, that's interesting. That's really interesting. But I think there's something about telling the story in a quality visual fashion Right. That has a lot to do with the impact. And maybe everyone and will be tired of them. <laughs> that's what I was just thinking. I wonder at what point the fatigue of, like, God, like during those first couple of months of the pandemic, I feel like I spent like half my days on Zoom and then you turn on the TV and it's all people Zooming into the, <laughs> you know, it's like right, right. you see the, the literal same yeah. kind of, 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 um, visual language all the time that at some point yeah. it just becomes very tiring and very sort of one dimensional. Very, very much right. so. Like you said, four months, but it seems like an eternity. It does. It it does. does. I'm going to rope us back in. If yeah. you guys don't. Oh mind. yes. <laughs> no, no, this has been great. I just wanted to, there's still a couple of questions that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you. Um, so one of them is, um, are there any specific efforts that you're aware of? Um, to promote or encourage women in the in the field of type design specifically absolutely I think a lot of the change most much of the change that we've seen happening in type design in terms of visibility and representation of women goes back to alphabets which is a a platform slash network for for women in type and related fields Um, and they really started this whole campaign for like, Hey, we're here and we're visible. And I was actually part of that from the beginning, but I'm not really active now. So that's why I say they rather than Mm. seems like I'm trying to inhabit a movement that I'm not really, um, you know, very active in, but they do a lot of stuff. They have a blog where we've had, um, you know, members or, or like women and type can, can not members, uh, can, can publish and write and they put on events and there's of course a directory there's list um, of women in type and um, also mentorships which are not limited to to women as far as I know Um, so there's a lot of education and and advocacy and and, and networking going on there Um, then I'm aware of there was a book last year called femtype which I'm not really in touch with those people but I think they have a blog as well uh, I, and I, I follow their Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then there's, I mean, there's smaller initiatives. There's like people sponsoring conference tickets for people. And, you know, type design generally is such a small industry that you'll have a lot of people sort of informally helping each other out, which is, you know, the longer I go, the more I think sometimes the most impactful things are the, the, the least visible ones. Right. Um, 
but there are also like there's some type designers that like pub are very public about taking on mentees i know nadine shaheen who is an arabic type designer she takes on three female mentees every year wow um there is sharp type has started a thing called the Mali scholarship. They call it a scholarship. It has like an optional mentoring component and the, and the cash sum that they give out for, this is specifically for women of color. Um, and, oh, and the TDC has the Beatrice Ward scholarship. That's an actual scholarship for, for students, I think in their junior year. Um, for women and like female students. Um, I think that's how far I got when kind of brainstorming this. There's probably more, but I couldn't think of it at that. No, that's great. Moment. That's great. But yeah, a lot has started. There. Yeah. Several there. Yeah. Um, and then this is sort of a question we're just asking everybody because we feel like everyone that we're talking to is the target audience for the film. So what <laughs> would you like to see in a documentary film about women in design history? Or any we, relevant issues or topics? Absolutely, yes. Um, I think we touched on this a little bit before with the sort of not, like, talking about how it would be nice to not engage in, in hero worship. And I think I would be more interested in seeing, uh, seeing sort of an attempt to broaden the view and kind of shine a spotlight on, you know, women who are often not already in leading positions, not in the spotlight, and... I'm not sure what that means in terms of storytelling, but maybe it wouldn't be so much about individual people and more about structures, more about sort of where does the work happen. Um, also, like I said before, um, questioning, hopefully what I'd love to see is, is, is a questioning or a broadening of what we regard as, as a design canon into other adjacent fields that don't get the same sort of clout. Um, and lastly, I think something that's just become sort of very vir virulent, I don't know if that's a word, um, very sort of pressing in my mind, especially lately, is that we always, always, always have to think of feminism as intersectional. Like, because without that, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I, as a white woman, I find, it, uh, I find it problematic if we focus only on elevating white women uh, to like to kind of bridge that last rung of the privilege ladder that's between white women and white men um, and not talk about like the vast number of people that are like way more underprivileged and way less visible and especially in type design you know this is a conversation that we really need to be having next because we've done we've made um, progress um, on the end of, of women most of whom are white some of them are Asian but there is some of them are Lat Latinas, um, but like there are, there are, for example, just almost no black people in type design. There are a few, um, but it's like nowhere near what, what, what adequate representation would look like. I'm aware of, I think, one or two black women in type. I'm aware of one trans woman in type. So there's like, I think there's, what I would love is for this whole women in type or women in design conversation to just broaden out and say, okay, we've spent the last few years talking about mostly white women. Now let's talk about literally everybody else who's not a white man. Like right. let's talk about literally everybody else who's been overlooked by the, by the dominant narratives and the dominant definition of what the canon is and what is good design and what do we strive to do and what do we, who do we strive to be? Um, 
because I think the future of design needs to look like design just becomes so much more relevant and so much more interesting and so much more exciting if it's if it's diverse and that doesn't only pertain to who does it but also what what is taught right and what mm -hmm. the ideals right. are and who do you see doing it exactly and i i've um it's it's no secret that i've experienced that myself in my own education um my bfa program was very down one little lane and they this is this is good design and if you do it this way you're going to do good design and it was in my senior year that i was like well wait a minute can yeah. you see all of this beautiful world around us and it's all design and it's so it's that it's that opportunity right. for each student each designer each type designer to bring in their experiences bring in their cultural aspects bring in their beliefs you know and make that part absolutely of and I think for those of us who are in more dominant groups, also to, to very consciously seek out, try to seek out the voices that are, that are marginalized and that may not actually have a seat at the table yet or have not right. found a door to the room that has the table. Like I was thinking just before, like are there any, is there an indigenous, like a Native American design scene? I have no idea. It's, yeah, that's something I've been trying yeah. to work on um, familiarizing myself a little bit with because I have... Uh, th just this last year, I've, I've had a, a couple of students who are Native American and, oh, wow. you know, and I've never had a Native American student before, but, you know, they want to see themselves represented in design history. Right. Um, yep. So I've been trying to dig into that a little bit, um, but it's, there's not a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. No, there, there's not. And um, I, I have a tiny bit of, of um, Native American heritage and one of the uh -huh. texts that I just worked on, which is just over my shoulder, was called From It to Thou. And I was looking at uh, the Native American uh, script, in particular, um, the Cherokee script by, yeah. again, pronunciation, Sequoia, I think is it? That's is correct. It? Yeah. That um, correct. And, and I was looking to kind of recreate that in my own brush script with a, with a handmade brush and everything. So, but yeah, even trying to find that information was 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 so daunting. And um, mm -hmm. there is um, someone mentioned to me the other day, and I'm trying to locate it quickly. And of course, that is you know becoming more of a um, problem during a recording of a podcast. Oh, here it is, um, Sadie Redhawk. She's a Native American graphic yeah. designer and a okay. advocate as well. So um, I was recommended that we we look into her. Um, so that's one thing that will be. Uh, we'll be doing as well. But yeah, as far as um, documentation and recording of that information, um, yeah, I found in and the research, it's, it's hard to find. And the little digging I've done, um, it seems like we have uh, some, some great Native American artists mm -hmm. who also dabbled in graphic design. Okay. So they didn't necessarily refer to themselves as graphic designers or commercial artists. They were artists first and foremost. Um, so that can be also a little bit tricky is finding like, you know, that line, like where, where that is. Right. Right. And, and do we draw the line, right? You know, or, right. or do we, you know, it's, it's an interesting right. navigation, which is why we um, are having these conversations with, mm -hmm. with wonderful folks like you. It's like, help us, help us work through this and, and give us what we're looking at. Um, no, that sounds amazing. I mean, if there's a way to like, and I'm not saying that's what your project has to be if, if you don't want it to be that. But what I would love to get at some point is like some kind of people's history of 
visual expression, you know, whatever right, that means. Right, and right. just elevating and, and, and looking at all the things that have been excluded. That is so so very targeted. I feel like I have to tell you about a project that we're going to be talking to some more oh. people about uh, soon um, called the People's Graphic Design Archive. And you can just Google it. It's live. But we will be doing a podcast about that, soon, talking to them about that soon. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. Um, well, I, I believe one of the questions that Mandy had was the, you know, the value of, of this project. You know, what do you think that value is? And I think you've been, you know, great at answering that right along. So I'm going to roll into um, my question, which is kind of what you've been kind of leaning towards cautions right so as we move forward as we mm -hmm. engage in the research as we start developing the film are there potential problems issues um things that you that you could see that it's like well you know here here's some words of wisdom or words of caution nothing like that's a good you question because I, I realized that like all the things that i wrote down under this point as notes are things that i just ranted about before like yeah i think if it if it were to become a sort of a history told in the same kind of top-down hero worship kind of way, but just highlighted a few women, then, then I'm not sure it would have as much impact as it, as it can uh, in terms of being also kind of an, an alternate way of, of, you know, accessing a history that has been male dominated. Right. So that's right. Of course the problem is that if the historiography sort of mirrors that structure, it's just going to reinforce it um, arguably. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, and yeah, I mean, on a, on a smaller note, I just hope not everybody in it is white because that would be missing, I think, a, a point. Right. Um, and see, now we didn't get to talk about like feminine design. Like, <laughs> it's <always laughs> like the kind of, I hope, and I'm sure that you will establish this because you're talking to a lot of women who are like just doing design. Like yeah. women's design yeah. is design. Right, right. That, right. that people don't walk away with it with an idea that like, oh, this person is a woman, so I must approach her. It's going to right to get a going to be swirly and calligraphic and pink. You know? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Right. And and Nina, if we talk too much, we won't even need to do a documentary film. So <laughs> we're just going to keep talking. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, it's it, it's well worth the conversation. And yeah, um, all those things are definitely things that have been brought up already. Um, mm -hmm. and so, um, but I think it's good to have it reaffirmed. Yeah. Reaffirmed. You know? And I think it's really important cause we had, um, uh, Rookie and my last name issues. Rookie Newhold Ravakumar. Nikki Ruhold Ravakumar. Rookie. Okay. Newhold Ravakumar. So when I need a name, I'm just going to hold up a sign and have Mandy read the name <laughs> and then I'll, I'll put insert name here. And then, uh, and then I'll continue. Uh, but when we were talking with her, um, transgender did come up. So I think it's definitely, you know, we, we have to really kind of be analyzing this from, from all life, right? Mm -hmm. And not just like women design is feminine and it looks like this and here's all the great women designers. So, right. Yeah. Right. Mandy, any other questions that you have? I know that we have our, our, our big wrap up question, which everyone uh, enjoys so much. Right. I think, I think we've gone through them all. I don't think we hit them in the order that we'd necessarily planned, but I think we've gone through them all. All right. So the big question, are you ready, Nina? If you had to, myself. yeah, if you had to give your words of wisdom and your advice to 
um, students, young designers, uh, people that just want to get out and get break into type design. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be type design specific. It doesn't have to be women in design specific. Words of, words of wisdom from Nina. Words of wisdom from Nina. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, It'll be a book. <laughs> just not prepared for this. Five volume um, series. <laughs> um, I think uh, words of wisdom. This is probably going to sound really trite, but I think my cat is going to join us now. Awesome. Oh, that, that, those are not the words of wisdom. <laughs> um, <laughs> have a cat. No, um, you know, be curious, be ravenous, be like whenever, whenever people ask me where my inspiration comes from, I'm like everything like you can, I'm, I'm a big believer in like walking down the street and being, being inspired by the way that a shadow of a tree hits a hand painted sign or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, the more, again, the more be yourself, be curious and be yourself and be trust in, in yourself, trust in your eye, because your eye is what you're developing when you're learning. Right. To you're making stuff, but it's not about the stuff. It's about how you're learning to see and how you're learning to translate what you see in, in, in an out, into an output that is yours. And, right. um, and of course, you're responding to briefings and you're responding to constraints, like design has so many constraints, right? But still, you're you and you're your project is developing your own eye and your own, your own, you know, I, I call it like the inspiration soup that's in your brain. Everything you, you see goes into it and it's stuff that you can reuse and draw from for your own work. So I'm a big believer in that and not just, you know, stuff on the street, but also like see art, see movies, like it's gobble it up and, 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 and trust in your own voice, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're if you're in, in some kind of minority that is not, you know, super represented in design yet, then especially design needs your perspective that you have. And um, in, in that vein, also absolutely learn the rules, absolutely learn precedent. Try to not get rid of the little voice in the back of your head that asks if all the rules need to be there because some of them are just conventions. Some of them can Mm -hmm. be broken. Um, But I think it really helps to know where they are so that you can, that you can select which ones to break because you're in historical context and you're in, in sort of a, a a context of what is being made, no matter if you're aware of it or not. So you might as well learn it and then work from within to change it. That's fantastic. I'm going to throw a word at you. Fear. Fear. What, what do you want me to say? How would you react to that word? To the word fear. Because a lot of the stuff you're, you're, you're giving mm-hmm. us that great wisdom for, mm-hmm. like it was wonderfully put, like well-spoken and like great words of wisdom and, and, and inspiration. But that also, you know, prompts that word in my head about fear. Like there's a lot of people who face a lot of, um, oh, anxiety over, over facing a lot of that. So that word fear. Oh, I think Nina froze. Yay! She's back. Where are they do that on purpose? I know I said I was going to do it. 
I'm like, oh, she, she's like, don't ever ask me that question again. Click. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have my internet connection just sometimes decides that it's now not working. This happens, happens about right. three times a day. So. Can't a like two century old, three century old, four centuries? Can't a city that's as old as New York City just get their fiber optics in order? My goodness. You would think. I don't know. All right. So I'm going. You had some time to think maybe then about my question. Um, no, because you were explaining the question when I, when oh. I fell out. So I'm still not quite sure. Oh, what okay. All right. Um, <laughs> fear. How would you respond with words to wisdom to fear? Like in general or in response to what I said? Yeah. Before? yeah. In, in response to what you were kind of the things you were saying before. Or, or generally, it doesn't have to be either way. Well, it's hella scary. I mean, it's hella scary to try to, to figure out, like, what your voice is and what you want to add to the world. I think that's only not scary if you're already very confident, which, which more power to you, you know. But I think it can be seductive in design to, to just kind of look at what other people are doing and then be like, okay, this is how this works. This is what we're doing. And then kind of hop onto the same bandwagon. And... I, I personally think that that's really a big loss for design because what it does is we kind of fall into these trends and then, and then everybody hops onto it until somebody, somebody starts the next thing and then everybody hops onto that. And, and what it does is it kind of also reduces the number of, you know, voices or, or perspectives or, or modes of expression that we get because it, very, it codifies the, the sort of available responses and reduces them into a very small subset. Um, and so, like, I don't know, try, try to not be the person who hops on the, on the trend, but try to be a person who maybe starts the next one or, or does something that nobody else does. And then that's your thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent way to Stand approach out. that. Yeah. I see students all the time that are, you know, and, and it's expected, right? They've got to go through that cycle of, well, that's really cool. Let me design like that. And right. you know, we have to give them that, that freedom to do that and go through that. But then it's also our responsibility as educators to say, wasn't that fun? That was really cool. Now, how would you right. voice that? How would you right. tell us that story visually? So Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's scary is, like to me personally also, is that there's, especially now that we're all working on the computer, and there's this there's a strong sort of seduction of the smooth surface, right? It's very seductive to try to make everything looks like, look like it's finished, even if we don't really have all the answers yet. And so that's something that I try to push myself to and also try to push my students to is like dare to be messy. Like dare to, like when you're in a design process, it's not going to be neat and tidy, right? It's not going to look good for a while because you're figuring it out. Right, right. Um, and so I've done sketching workshops where, where I try to bring that point across, you know, that it's really like you need to be messy with your sketches because they're, they're not artworks. Like they're working documents where you're trying to figure something out. Yeah. So like cut them up if you need to, you know, right. glue them back together, yeah. like layer, layer your Sharpie and your whiteout. Yeah, it's a discovery. Um, what I do, yeah. But. yeah, it's a discovery. And if you're too careful, right, you're not going to discover right. it. Yeah. Exactly. If you're too cautious, if you're like at every step sort of hedging your, oh no, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. It's like, fine, break it. Like yeah. go too far. And then you know that you've gone too far and then you can dial it back and do something else. Hey, do, so do you have any uh, speaking opportunities coming up? I know that with the pandemic, everything is changing, but are there any online 
things you're getting involved with or? Um, not right now. Um, I also kind of, I had a couple of things that were going to come up before the pandemic hit and they've not been rescheduled yet. Right. Um, but so I guess we'll see what, we'll see what happens. I also have to say that I'm, um, it's been kind of an interesting journey because like I was work, I was speaking at a lot of conferences for a while. And then over the past couple of years or so that's shifted to more to schools which I've oh. actually greatly enjoyed, you mm-hmm. know, instead of people who are already designers, you're talking to, to students. And um, uh, so I'm hoping to continue that, you know, whenever it's, whenever it's plausible again. Sure. Yeah. Um, we've had you um, speak right. via Skype or, uh, to our students. So, you know, I think that was a right. wonderful opportunity. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, where can people um, find you social media um, ways to reach out and, see what you're working on and what you're doing and even all the vernacular type around the city. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I think I also was supposed to send you some links, right? Which I didn't do. I did not oh. stepping on the laptop. <laughs> right. She's going to step on all the keys. This, and... this is Lola. She likes to sit on the laptop. I usually have this laptop closed and then she sits on it because it's like a heat pad. Oh yeah. Right. Um, and we've, I've tried to explain to her that if it's open, she's not supposed to sit on it. And this is a bit of a difficult <laughs> Well, um, um, really quick then, why don't you shout out a few um, ways people can follow you on social media then? Yes. Um, so my Twitter and my Instagram is Nina Stosinger. That's N-I-N-A-S-T-O-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R. Sorry for the long last name. That's just what it is. Um, and company is at Fur Jones, F-R-E-R-E-J-O-N-E-S. Uh, also same at dot com. Um, and I think that's the most important course. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun and a really interesting conversation. Um, and good luck with the project. I'm very excited to see what it's. Thank you. You know, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I agree too. It was a great conversation. Any conversation with Nina, Sausinger. Did I say it right that time? It's not sauce, it's sos. No, it's, it's yeah, it's supposed to be a long O. So, so I was like, Stosinger. So, I'm going to keep practicing. Yeah. That's, that's the anglified version. I mean, if you want to say German, it's Stosinger, but I don't oh my do goodness. that to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nina. Thanks so much, Mandy. Bye. Thanks, guys, Thank for having All me. Right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com, where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore dedux on Facebook as Design Dedux Podcast and join us on YouTube at Design Dedux for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore dedux. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.